I'm Shauna Van Bogart, and this is Just Being. Carol Gardner was 52, divorced, depressed, and swimming in debt. Her divorce attorney told her she had two options. You either get a therapist or get a dog, but you've got to do something. So she adopted Zelda, an adorable bulldog. Her friend, knowing the financial situation she was in, recommended that she enter the annual Christmas card contest at the local pet store. And if she won, she would receive 40 pounds of dog food a month for an entire year. I did it because it made me laugh. I mean, the cards had Zelda in a bathtub with bubbles around her face and a Santa hat on. And it said, for Christmas, I got a dog for my husband. Then it said, good trade, huh? And so, you know, everybody laughed. And when everybody laughed, that turned on another light bulb. That light bulb moment was realizing that maybe this was about more than just free dog food. Maybe there was a business here. Carol told me she had a background in advertising and crafting one-liners, but was also experienced in starting companies. She said she had started a company even as young as six years old. Making the Zelda card that year made her happy. It was something she was good at, and it was making people laugh. She thought, why not take it to market? Your idea has to be daring. It has to be different. And the hardest part about that is it has to be smart. And there's a very fine line between smart and stupid. And you have to be intuitive. You have to intuit that this is a smart idea. I mean, in the 90s, when I started dressing up a dog, nobody dressed up a dog before, but I intuited that, you know, the timing was good. And it was. I mean, you know, within six months, my debt was gone and I had done extremely, extremely well. Google Zelda Wisdom, the official name of Carol's company, or find her on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you will see the reality of what extremely well means. To brag on Carol a bit, within a year, she had sold one million cards. She went on to capture the attention of Hallmark, Oprah, and Martha Stewart, just to name a few. The Zelda Wisdom brand has expanded beyond greeting cards to include calendars, books, and other products. Dressing a dog up and taking photos of it with one-liners is not a small business. Carol turned it into a multi-million dollar company with Zelda, her bulldog, becoming a national celebrity. In more recent years, Carol has also founded Max Daddy, named after another bulldog rescue of hers, a company that specializes in a line of CBD pet products. What I especially love about this story, and Carol, is that it's a prime example of just being. She didn't set out to turn this dog into a celebrity or to generate money from owning her. She was focused on making herself happy amidst a divorce, and a bulldog seemed like a fantastic way to do that. She was also being a person who was aligned to an identity of opportunity. When we spoke, I told her how many people probably wouldn't have had their mindsets in the right place to have caught the opportunity like she did. And I asked if she could speak a little bit to being a person who sees those opportunities in front of them, especially when they're at rock bottom. Take one piece of paper and write down everything you like to do and everything you're good at. And 
on the back of the paper, write down things that don't make you happy. I mean, I had accounting at the top of that list because it didn't make me happy. So I wasn't going to, you know, go out and become an accountant. But carrying that sheet of paper around with me always was a reminder to look for the things that made me happy, that were daring, different, and smart. I love this exercise because it's similar to some of the exercises that I actually give my clients. It's a way to prepare your mindset and to plan for being. Because when you plan for the identity you want to be and the identity you need to be, you'll still be attuned to it, even in the face of adversity. When you know what makes you happy, it's easier to step into it. It's like deciding you want a white Audi S5 and then seeing white Audi S5s everywhere on the road. Happiness is a choice, something you need to snatch for yourself, not for it to find you. And when you decide, decide what makes you happy. Know what you're good at. You will mirror back to you opportunities. Regardless of the rock-bottom place Carol was at, divorced, depressed, and in debt, She still knew that the only path forward, especially to solve the financial situation she was in, was to stay focused on what she loved, what she was good at. And there seemed to be an intuitive knowing that the opportunity would arise. And it did, clearly, because Carol had already attuned to being a certain way prior to the results tangibly showing up. Rock bottom is actually pretty wonderful because not when you're there, but when you come up with an idea, you have nothing to lose. I mean, you have rock bottom, there's nothing you can lose. And so for me, starting a company with a bulldog dressed up, most people would say, that's crazy, don't do that. But I intuited that it would work and that really made the difference for me. And it certainly got me out of rock bottom. Focus on happiness was the key takeaway that I had during my chat with Carol. I told her that I 100% believed that abundance comes to those who seek to make themselves happy. For a number of reasons, but primarily because when our cup is overflowing, we have more to give of ourselves from a service standpoint, but also to the closest people around us. The other thing that I'd like to recommend to people, I just watched a movie, and this is really retro, called uh, Magnificent Obsession. It was Rock Hudson's first movie, I believe, way back in the 1950s. But it has a lot of wisdom in it. And I took away from that, that now in my life, I want to work at giving back and helping others and doing something that will really make a difference. And so I'm doing a lot of work with rescue dogs and it's very satisfying. I don't tell people, you know, what I'm doing where. I just do it and I do things anonymously and it's very rewarding. The other thing I'm doing is that I'm spending more time with my friends and family and with my two dogs. And that at this stage in my life, and I'm 74 years old, so That makes me really happy, Shauna. I followed up with Carol over email to ask her one final question that struck me as I was finalizing this episode. I wanted to know if she trusted in an all-knowing universe, if she felt a certain sense of surrender, because Carol's story 
especially the way things happen for her, has really familiar energy to it. It's the same energy that my clients move into when we do the deeper level sense of self work. And it's what happens when you align your energy to possibility, to trust, to patience, and ultimately to happiness and love. Carol is not special. She's unique, yes, just like you're unique, but you have all the same capacity to harness your energy the way she did, to choose happiness the way she did, to also know when to surrender and know that your only job right now is to figure out and focus on what will make you happy. Because in the energy of happiness comes opportunity. Her emailed response to my question about whether divorce served as a catalyst for bigger happiness in her life that she may not have otherwise had is as follows. Although my divorce was heartbreaking for me at the time, as I look back, it opened so many doors. All of a sudden, I had to rely on my own strengths in order to survive. And one of those strengths was humor. And humor has always made me happy. Hence, the concept of dressing up a dog to impersonate humans came to mind. Creating Zelda wisdom has brought me joy and happiness every single day. My divorce allowed me to go from underdog to top dog without barking up the wrong tree. When people get into ideas around manifestation, one of the common techniques people use is to visualize what they want. So they pin photos of their dream home on their corkboard and they map out every detail in their minds. And yes, there's value here, which we won't get into right now, but the value is not in the details of what it looks like. Actually, the universe could care less what the thing actually is. It cares about delivering you the experience that that thing will give you. And when we place that universal order button to give ourselves permission to declare what we want, and more so the feelings that we want from it, the universe will begin to move. And it will keep moving the more you trust and surrender to it. That is not, however, a guarantee that it will show up the way you visualized or down to the details of how you've mapped it out. The universe operates by a rule of this or better, and trust me, it always knows better for you. I really do believe that things work out the way they're meant to work out. What's for you is for you, with a higher orchestration at play. But of course, when you're in it, when you're at a rock bottom place or up against a wall or facing adversity, nothing feels right. It can be really hard to get back to that mindset. If you listened to the previous episode, and I hope you did, you know that I was entertaining the idea of going back to a long-term toxic relationship that I knew, I knew, I knew on some level was not making me happy. Carol talked about her formula for success. It's got to be daring, different, and smart. And as I listened to her talk, I thought how fitting that that was not only for business, but for life. If you think what makes you happy, whatever, but if it's not smart, then you have to intuit that this isn't going to work. She's obviously referencing business, but man, is she right. I had already intuited that this relationship is not going to work. I already knew that. And I deliberately chose to ignore it. So I want to share this and I want to unpack it with you guys because there's so much gold in moments like these that we face throughout our lives in and outside of our business. And it's not so much about the decision you make as it is how you made the decision. Who are you being when you made that choice? 
As a perpetual overthinker, I had put a lot of thought into what I was doing in that moment. I had to have a serious talk with myself to take responsibility for what had been done in the relationship and what was about to be done in the relationship. And I had to be willing to commit to both feet in if I was going to go back. That's the only way that it was worth the risk. If I could be 100% committed mentally, which meant blank slating what had happened and completely looking at this fresh, because what would be the point if I just carried baggage around from the past? It'd already be doomed. We can translate this idea of being 100% committed and blank slating to all kinds of areas in our life, and I often do with my clients in their own business. I think personally, this is a really key thing for any decision you make, especially regarding existing things in your life or business. What is your level of commitment and what is preventing you from being 100% in? And if you're going to continue moving forward with said thing, whether that be an existing relationship, project that's been on the fritz that you're trying to revive, or perhaps deciding to keep the doors open on a business where you maybe have had one foot out and you've realized that, or there's other opportunities on the table. Can you get there to 100% again? And if not, I think you need to be upfront and honest with yourself about it, because unless you can blank slate it, approach it fresh, it's probably going to be too weighed down by the past. I deal with a lot of business baggage when I work with my clients, and it's nearly impossible for them to open up to a new level of success without clearing it. The other thing that can get in your way when facing a crossroads is not knowing what you want. I was finally starting to realize that as much as I had denied it before, I really was wanting to find that life partner to be married. That was not an easy thing for me to admit at that time because frankly, marriage freaking terrified me, but being afraid of it wasn't working either. Obviously, when you know what you want and when you're willing to admit it to yourself, making a decision can be easier. And I hope you pick the option that has the most opportunity to fulfill your desires. For me, this door had finally opened. It was one of the big talking points actually during our deliberation of getting back together. You know, if we do this, we do this because we're on a path to marriage and we both agreed. So between blank slating it and owning my true desires, what I had inadvertently done was align my energy and mindset to a place of both possibility and trust. So again, regardless of the choice I made, because I was in this place of full responsibility, full possibility and trust, it's no coincidence that I did call in my life partner, my husband. It just wasn't in the packaging that I thought. And thank God for that. So here's the reality of it. In all of five months, I made this serious mental declaration of what I was really wanting in my heart. I placed that universal order, thinking it would obviously play out with the current boyfriend. That relationship, however, actually disintegrated just three months after this, and my actual husband walked into my life immediately after this relationship broke up. And when I say immediate, I mean the very first public business networking event that I went to after this breakup, he was there. I'm telling you, the universe rearranges quick when you attune, but you've got to be someone who stays open to catching it. I have been teaching abundance embodiment for years now, and this formula and unfolding is consistent. 
When people talk about law of attraction and manifestation, there's a lot of misguided information out there. But the most consistent thing I see and know to be true for both myself and my clients is that when you want something, and if it's in your best, highest interest, it doesn't matter where in your life you align for it. You may be playing out a circumstance over here to your right, only to have what you're really seeking to manifest unfold on the left. It's indirect, it's often illogical, and you will usually not connect the dots until you've looked backwards after it's happened. I thought I was moving through the motions to take that current relationship to the next level. It was actually just a way for me to align to what I was really wanting, but would have no way of knowing that. I tell my clients, align to possibility first and foremost above anything and stop micromanaging the universe. Declare what you want, show up for the action, but stay out of the way. Mental hygiene should be your number one priority on the days you feel great and the days you feel bad. If you want to be a person like Carol Gardner who embodies opportunity, who takes the action when lightning strikes on what you love and gets results from it in big ways, it's a conscious choice every single day that mental hygiene, not something that just happens in those rock bottom moments. Carol was already a person with a certain level of consciousness of opportunity and success, not because she's special, because she probably worked on her mental hygiene daily, so she had that capacity to not only weather storms, but thrive as a result of them. Even more important to just be. So much of it is out of your periphery. For so long, I thought I was building an image consulting business. I wasn't. That was never it. I couldn't see that. I found that out later. I was amassing the knowledge. I was amassing experience. And those were only stepping stones to align to a bigger purpose. And that was my unique journey. Same with the relationship. Same with so many other things in my life. I really thought I wanted X. And turns out that was just the way to warm me up to this other thing over here. So yes, things worked out and I can spout off all this clarity now. It's so abundantly clear to me what's going on. And of course, I'm fully on board with how it unfolded. And you know, I appreciate the learning opportunities from it. But I'm here to also be real with you that this period in my life, when this ex-relationship ended just three months after making this really big, vulnerable mental leap, that was a rock bottom moment. And it's still hard for me to admit that that was a rock bottom moment for me. But I think it's really important that we talk about this other side of the coin because to me, it's the most important part. We must become better at failing. It felt like I had gone both feet in finally on a level that I hadn't before, that I had dropped all doubt, that I had fully opened my heart in a way that I also had an experience before. And that was a big deal for me. And so when it came crashing down just three months after that, I was totally wrecked. And I was forced to face some really deep-rooted emotions as a result of it. And I did not like it. I did not like it one bit. This was not the first time that I had had a breakup with a boyfriend. And each time was hard, yeah. But I honestly could not really fathom prior to that moment this idea of being totally devastated by a breakup. And I know this sounds really cold, but just in full transparency with where I was at at that time in my life, I would watch friends of mine or 
movies and shows on TV and watch how people would move through these devastating breakups like laying in bed for days and tissues covering the floor, nonstop crying, and I just could not connect with it. In all fairness, I judged it. I would think to myself, I would never let someone get me down like that. I mean, it's it's hard. Breakups are hard, but it's just a guy. Suck it up. It obviously happened for the best. Move on. That will never be me. I'm never going to let a guy do that to me. Well, joke's on me because I was eating my words and I was completely taken down. And that was the most frustrating part for me. My reaction to that breakup was nothing that I expected or would have expected from myself at that time. I was so shocked that it was that, that causing all of these emotions in me, all of these things that I had been through in my life and all the things that could happen. This, this was the thing that was taking me down, I kept thinking. And when I say took me down, I mean not eating, not sleeping, completely overwhelmed with emotions. Like I had a mental breakdown. I was the girl in bed for days, tissues covering the floor, crying nonstop. It was so stunning to my system that I was actually avoiding sleep because it seemed more painful to actually have to wake up and re-remember everything that happened. My husband and I have this running joke about me leaving the shower door open. I used to take my hot showers with the door wide open and I would justify doing so because I hated the contrast of the feeling, the sharpness of the cold air that would hit you when you'd have to get out of the shower, out of that warm and cozy space, and then have to be cold. So it always just made more sense to me, just leave the door open so then I wouldn't have to feel the pain of the warmth being over. In reality, I was just settling for kind of a lame shower experience. And this kind of example played out across many areas in my life, large and small. This very tempered approach to my life. Don't feel too much pleasure and don't feel too much pain. I didn't allow myself to have the relief in that moment of the breakup that I knew sleep could give me because I didn't want to feel the sharpness of the experience all over again when I had to wake up. This is what avoiding emotions looks like, essentially neutralizing ourselves. When you avoid feeling the bad, you also cut off your expression to feel the good. So I stayed awake for days. I didn't go out for weeks because I didn't want people to ask about my trip to see them. I was so angry and disgusted with myself because, as Carol said, I knew it wasn't smart. My intuition definitely knew this, and I deliberately ignored it. And I was seeing in that moment how it wasn't just risky, it was careless. And here I was facing what felt like this punishment for ignoring my intuition. So I'm totally devastated that I had taken this leap of faith, which was a huge deal to me, and was let down and was let down in a really big, messy way. And I had, for the first time in my life, no understanding or idea what was happening within me because it was just this avalanche of emotions that I would never have expected. I was deep into the should have known betters. I should have known better. That is all I kept saying to myself. And man, those should have known better feelings. I know you've had them yourself. Those are heavy. All of my fellow perfectionists and overachievers, I know you can empathize. There is nothing worse than looking back and kicking yourself. 
You can spin on that ride for days, weeks, even months, and it just destroys the trust that you have with yourself. I should have known better. Now listen, I felt deeply hurt by him, but to be honest, most of my hurt was with myself. And I was having this internal conversation where a part of me was saying, you're better than that. And another part of me was saying, well, clearly not, because look what happened. I want to just be with this for a moment because this and examples of similar dynamics in your own life, wherever they've played out, business decisions, relationship decisions, parenting decisions, they're so important to sit with, especially if vulnerability scares the crap out of you like it did for me most of my life. If you have spent a lot of your life managing your emotions, listen up to this next segment because this is where the gold is. I really want you to get what's going on here because one of the first steps to getting the kind of results that you want in your life is to identify those moments where you're stuffing down your feelings and observe where you're not only dismissing yourself, which is what stuffing down your emotions is, a dismissal, but also punishing yourself. When you become an observer, a witness to yourself and your emotions, you are in a position of choice and power then. It's so important we get this and the nuances of situations where we get into the should have known betters because that is a form of dismissiveness and it's associated self-punishment is what prevents us from just being, from trusting ourselves, and certainly is what prevents us from allowing abundance to flow into our lives in the future. What needed to happen in that moment is I needed to allow my feelings to come in and know that they were okay to have. And even at that place, let feelings come in and be okay with the associated judgments that are there. Sometimes trying to let feelings come in void of judgment, which is ultimately a place we do want to aim to get at, is just unrealistic when we're in certain circumstances. When you have high expectations for yourself, and especially if you're someone who values taking self-responsibility, which I know you are, it's going to be impossible, in my opinion, in some of those moments to feel pain and not want to judge yourself for it. Hear me, I believe in positive self-talk. It's important to get there. But I also believe that when we tiptoe around our self-talk to such an extent that we're fearful of allowing anything negative to come in because we think it's bad and we hear it's wrong to talk negatively and we know it's important to take responsibility, you're just further driving a very destructive sense of perfectionism within yourself. So instead, I recommend just letting it all flow, but ensuring that everything ends with the statement, and that's okay, period. I should have known better, and that's okay. I hate myself for it, and that's okay. I'm angry I made what felt like a stupid decision, and that's okay. I feel like I wasn't enough, and that's okay. Do you feel how powerful that is to tell yourself, and that's okay, when you have a feeling? You're holding space for yourself in that moment. That is what elevates you to the higher road. Now, I didn't have this tool at the time. I was saying all these things and then internalizing it all. I was saying all these things and it just was one self-attack after another. No compassion, no space holding, just straight self-hatred because it just came rushing in so quickly. I just was overwhelmed and there was a lot of bypassing going on. I was 
feeling so intensely, but I was so anxious about the feelings that I wasn't actually just being with them. I was just living in anxiety over having the emotions themselves. That's what also causes a lot of dismissiveness within ourselves. And until we can realize that having our feelings is okay, likely what happens is we just bypass them, or at least clumsily try to. And if you bypass the feelings part of it too quickly, whether that be because you're just wallowing in anxiety over it or you know, you're in a habit of sweeping them under the rug and pretending they aren't there, then you're not actually fully processing the experience and it will catch up with you. In theory, yes, of course we should focus on talking positively about ourselves, but the only real way to do this is to experience the talking negatively about ourselves and be strong enough to hold space for it. I know it might seem counterintuitive, but really, this is the only way through. Feeling bad about yourself because you feel bad about yourself helps nothing. I used to tell my image consulting clients when they would look in the mirror and not like what they see, that punishing themselves because they know they shouldn't not like what they see in the mirror is exactly why they have those thoughts to begin with. The self-punishment is creating more to punish yourself over. This is a long, tedious, struggling road to happiness. Holding space for all our emotions, including our pain, including our judgment, creates a ripple effect because who you're being in that moment is a person of strength, a person of the strongest power and vibration. And frankly, if we're going to go there, let's just go there. You're being a person connected to the divine. Call it whatever you want, source, universe, God, whatever. But you're channeling the strongest power in the world. And that power, my friends, can move mountains and can offer you the kind of support that just cannot be explained in words. If you are too quick to bypass your feelings because you just want to move on, you just want to get over them, you just want to problem solve, you will, I guarantee you, find yourself back in a similar pattern with something else maybe even the same thing, but what's going on inside of you doesn't go away. You will get another learning opportunity. Again, taking the high road is in theory the correct thing to do, and I hope you do aim to take the high road, but not at the expense of dismissing yourself. In fact, I would argue it's actually impossible to really take the high road if you aren't holding space for and processing your emotions. You can't fly high or far if you have weights on your wings. True high-roading is a combination of holding space, that's the compassion piece, plus radical responsibility, which means not dwelling in your victimhood. Fake high-roading is like the popular phrase you hear down here in the South, you know, when people say, oh, bless your heart. It sounds kind and compassionate and cute, but really it's just a giant passive-aggressive middle finger. You're not taking the high road. It's just this insult wrapped in a very pretty package with a cute Southern twang. I understand that you want to be a good person. I know you know the power of positive self-talk. I know you want to take responsibility and you especially want to just solve the problem. You don't want to be a person who dwells or wallows. That you value picking yourself back up and dusting yourself off. Trust me, I get it. But those things don't need to be at odds with your feelings. You can have both. When you leave things unprocessed by dismissing your emotions, by taking the high road too quickly, those raw emotions don't go away. It's kind of like they just pile up until eventually you have to deal with them later. 
they become like these little piles of clutter that may start off in just one corner or two and you could go about your life or business just maneuvering around them for a little bit because they're not really in the way. But eventually it's not just a corner or two. There's piles of clutter everywhere you walk because the more you experience, the more emotions are triggered. And because there's more piles, they require more careful maneuvering and controlling around them. And that is a lot of energy being expended to just maneuver around those little piles of clutter on a daily basis so you don't knock one over or create an explosion. And you know what? My piles of clutter were everywhere, but they were stacked perfectly. They were stacked very neatly, but they were everywhere. Imagine little pathways between mountains of clutter like you see on those hoarding shows. This is the way I lived my life. Emotions would come up and I would neatly tuck them away in a corner under a rug or soon in the middle of the room, unable to be ignored even by the people in my immediate sphere of influence. It was just one big emotional minefield. And this is not a way to live life, avoiding emotions and justifying it as if you're taking the high road in those moments. Whether it's internal or external clutter, it's eventually going to have to be dealt with. When we can just be with our emotions, not dismiss them, not hate ourselves for them, not shove them down so we don't have to look at them, we automatically move ourselves in our state of minds into a place of power and strength. And we actually move much faster to actual sustainable solutions and problem solving. The key, however, is to know when to move on and to not wallow, to own them and know when it's ready to get back on your feet, to take that responsibility. Otherwise, you do fall into victimhood. I'm in a bad place, and I need to get out of it. And what occurred to me was victims are losers, and I did not want to be a loser. I didn't want to be a victim. I wanted to have a victory. And that was very important to me was don't become a victim. Honestly, I almost didn't include this clip of Carol talking about her rock bottom moment when she created Zelda Wisdom. I agree with her 100%, but part of me was like, did she just say victims are losers in my interview? (laughs) The people pleaser in me did not want anyone to be offended or hear this out of context, but she's right. And I leave it in because she's right. We have a choice and it is a losing choice to stay a victim because you will stay weighted down and you will miss the beauty that is your life. Now, she is not saying, suck it up, don't cry, don't feel. She is certainly not saying to take responsibility over other people causing harm to you. That's on them. But what she is saying is that things happen. Rock bottom sucks. Circumstances can be scary. People will and can hurt you. People will and can screw you over. But no matter how dim your power becomes as a result of the circumstance, it is never taken from you because no one can take your power from you. I repeat, no one can ever take your power from you. It's yours, always. And you are in control of your power dimmer switch, even when it doesn't feel like it. People only inspire you to turn it up or influence you to turn it down because it's always your switch to operate and no one has the ability to touch that switch. No one can touch that dial but you. And it is your responsibility to not forget that. Don't stay in victimhood. It's a losing position that produces losing results for yourself. The irony is, I have the feeling 
that you listening to this don't have an issue or challenge with the responsibility part. You know the power of self-work and you know the difference between being victimized and dwelling in victimhood. I tell my clients all the time, more high-roading is not what you need right now. You've mastered the high-road. You probably, for whatever reason, from a young age, had to garner a higher level of mental and spiritual maturity. Your challenge is not necessarily to become more spiritual, to become more mature, or to take responsibility for your life, because likely you're already doing that part of it. Your challenge is the being human part. Responsibility taking is key, of course, but we're talking about balance here. And what Carol is saying is, take charge of your life, and yes, that's one piece of it, but you've likely mastered this ingredient to an extent. What I'm saying is that now it's time to ensure that you've complemented all of that high-roading, all of that responsibility taking with the expressing emotions piece, the human piece, something I guess you're probably out of practice with. Vulnerability and take the high road. Emotions and responsibility. All emotions must be at play for us to have the fullness of life that we are seeking. You cannot experience the loving emotions, the highs, the pleasantries of your life and their corresponding vibrations if you continue to bypass the more fearful ones, if you continue to shove down the perceivably negative ones. I was not able to experience the higher levels of joy and happiness for part of my life. In fact, I was being a victim to my own emotions because I was allowing my emotions that I labeled as negative to influence my behavior. And here's the last and really important thing to keep in mind. We avoid things when fear is present. The mere fact that you're avoiding feeling certain emotions over others means that you're actually in a state of fear. And when fear is present, we're in a low consciousness. We've dimmed our power switch. So inherently, by the mere act of shutting down your negative emotions rather than just being with them and knowing it's okay, you have in fact dropped yourself into an attitude of low self-worth. And if we're identifying as someone with low self-worth, it can be difficult to get the results that we want in our life. The moment you bring that scary emotion closer to you, you stop being avoidant. And when you stop being avoidant, you demonstrate to the universe that you can handle it. You have your big girl panties on and you've got this. When you are scared, but you step into it anyway because you trust that you can handle it, you raise your self-worth and you raise your consciousness. Doesn't feel like it when you're in it, trust me. It feels gross and yucky and icky and all the things. In fact, it could feel totally the opposite. But this is what strength looks like. I had a client once ask, how do I convert my fear into faith? And I told her, you don't. And it's in the asking of that question that's actually keeping you stuck, striving to not be fearful before you can move is going to be nearly impossible. If you wait to move because you think you need to dissolve the fear completely, you're doing it wrong and you are probably gonna wait forever. It's fear and leaps of faith. The strongest, most powerful way to demonstrate just how much you value yourself is to hold space for every emotion that may arise within you, even and especially when you're scared to feel. 
When you hold space for emotions like hate, anger, humiliation, and you do so knowing it's okay, you're being a strong, worthy, powerful human. And you are elevating your identity and vibration to one of the highest places that it can be, which is essentially love. Because you're loving yourself enough in that moment to hold space for all of it. And if you look up the definition of self-worth, it says self-worth is the opinion you have about yourself and the value you place on yourself. When a circumstance hits, that leaves you with undesired feelings, whether that's a botched launch in your business or you don't close the client that you really thought was going to close or you don't get the sales you were looking for. And when you first just allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, you have an opportunity to double down on self-worth. The mere act of holding space for yourself to be so strong that you can handle any emotion that arises, that that is the fastest way to recharge the battery of your self-worth. Look at Carol, facing the triple Ds, divorced, depressed, and debt. She's resilient because she has self-worth. It radiates off of her on the phone, in her interview, even in her photos. You can just feel it. She feels expansive, and it's incredibly empowering to be around. I doubt she got that way by dismissing herself. I thought consciously, logically, I will be more agile if I don't have to be with those emotions. If I can quickly override with problem-solving, if I can just get back to thinking positively, if I can just... Recite my positive mantras and affirmations. I'll be okay. But that was not making me agile. It certainly wasn't making me feel free. Because I wasn't free to move. I was just weighing myself down, shutting down my heart time and time and time again, calculating my moves, exhausting my energy by maneuvering around an ever-increasing internal room of emotional clutter. Now, I move freely. I move powerfully because I finally addressed my fear over my own emotions. I dealt with one emotional clutter pile at a time, starting with what was triggering me in my current moments. I can confidently say to myself that I am a big enough person to be able to be with any emotion that arises within me because it does not have control over me. It does not have my power. I have my power and I have power over it. And as a result, I finally started owning my strength. Hear me. You are strong not because you're positive all the time. You are strong because you are whole. And being whole requires acceptance of all of it. The positive, the negative, the joy, the sadness, the shame, the pride, even the self-hate, along with the self-love. I didn't know how to be with my emotions when I moved through that rock-bottom place that I was at. I got caught up in the wallowing because most of my life I spent so scared to feel certain emotions, scared because I didn't know if I would be able to climb out from underneath them if I let them in. So when they finally did come in, I did the best I could with what I had in that moment. And that's okay. Because feeling them in the first place was totally new to me. And that was a big enough first step at that time. The things that play out in our personal lives play such a substantial role in the development of our business. People have asked me, what has been the number one thing that you've done outside of your business that's made a direct impact in your business? And I've always said, working on my marriage. 
And I say that because obviously marriages and relationships bring up all kinds of special things to heal within ourselves and all kinds of things to work on and learning opportunities. And it's the self-growth opportunities, no matter where they show up, that have made the biggest impacts in my bottom line. And the deeper I have gone within myself, which means the more I've allowed myself to get in touch with my emotions and feelings, which means the less I've been dismissing myself, the more money I've made, you guys, but the more I've succeeded on all levels, emotionally, financially, my answers flow more readily for me in my business, my creativity has skyrocketed, my intuitive gifts have become even more intuitive, they've been strengthened, the results that I get for my clients, they happen quickly, and they're at a level that continue to just leave me speechless and inspired. There's no way I could have channeled that kind of power with the old way of operating because I was exhausting all of my resources in the management of all of that emotional clutter. When this breakup happened, I still had a lot of work to do. This was really the first step to unfolding the bigger parts of myself, but this breakup was a big catalyst for me. And it's not because I can sit here and tell you I triumphed, that I effectively moved through it with a sense of pride and release or because I was able to say, you know, screw that guy, he's missing out. But because I couldn't. It was a beautiful catalyst, not because I felt strong, but because I didn't. And that is what opened my eyes to redefining what strength meant to me. It was time to stop. Stop operating from this very outdated, very unproductive definition of strength that was very perfectionist driven and it just wasn't serving me. And this was just the circumstance that brought it to light. It was humbling, but it was real. And when it's real, it's pure. And when it's pure, there's potential. I guarantee if I had gone the tough route and tried to grit my way through it, just simply put up a facade like I had always done and pretended like everything was okay and say, screw that guy, I probably wouldn't have met my future husband at the very first public outing after this breakup happened. And in the field of pure potential, anything is possible. Even if you're not in the state to see it, or believe it. More to come on Just Being. SVB here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Just Being and that you'll be continuing along this journey with us in the next episode. In the meantime, I have pulled something from my personal toolbox and posted it for you over at my website on shaunavanbogart.com. You will definitely want this in your back pocket. It is for tapping into your truth quickly and getting unstuck fast. It is my personal three-sentence journaling hack that I use on a regular basis that helps me get really clear, feel better, and attract what I really want. It's to help me get out of my head and into motion and into inspired action as fast as possible. You can find this tool over at shaunavanbogart.com forward slash get light. Just Being is produced by Jeremy Enns and the team at Counterweight Creative. Special thanks to Sarah Ashman and her team, Shauna Hader, Michael Weston, and Kelly Elizabeth for making this labor of love look and feel as beautiful as I felt creating it. And to my right-hand woman, Jess Butler, for always keeping me in line. 